Hello, everyone, and welcome to Topics in Faith, part of the In Faith series of podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Didek, and this week we're talking about heresy, how to address it, and what to do when it's in our church. This may be a bit of a complex topic, so let's get going. So right off the bat, before we even get into this, I want to say that nothing that I say for the rest of this podcast should be construed to mean that I think heresy is okay. Hopefully that's not too ominous of a lead-in, but I want to kind of point that out in the very beginning here because the stuff I'm going to say, is it might come off that way, and that's not that's not what I'm talking about. But I also wanted to point out, because we're kind of running into this a little bit in this episode, is that there can be a difficulty whenever we're discussing biblical principles. I think there is a difficulty in giving specific examples of a principle because it seems like as I interact with other Christians and especially ones that go to the same church that we do and we listen to the same pastor, sometimes it almost feels like we can get caught up in the example that the pastor uses or the teacher or whoever it is we're listening to and forget to apply the principle because you know you can sit and listen to the pastor preach about something and the very next day you see someone who is at the same service and they're speaking or acting in a way that makes it sound like make it seem like they didn't hear what the pastor said or they didn't care or i wondered if they didn't realize what they're doing is part of the principle he was trying to teach is another like outgrowth of it i don't know I don't know what goes on. Sometimes it's, you know, it falls on deaf ears, as they say, and as we'll see later in this episode. But, I, you know, I'm going to have to use a couple of, of examples here, I believe. You know, there's obviously value in examples because it kind of gives you a real world, okay, here's one of the ways that this thing works itself out. But I want us to just be careful of that. And this can be like just a general, a general thing about even Bible study. When you're studying your own Bible Try to f- to look for the principle that's operating in the background, not just the specific story from Scripture. Also, kind of before we get started here, I wanted to point out the fact that there's kind of there's two different, I think, two main approaches to heresy that we're going to see here. That sort of the rules or guidelines apply differently to a degree depending on who you are. Okay, and we're going to see this as kind of as we go. But I just want to lay that out before we get started. So first, let's do some definitions, because this is going to be important for addressing these sorts of things. And there are, I think we might have talked about this before, you may have heard about this before, but there's sort of three levels of interpretation and and application of scripture. The first circle, kind of the, the middle of the target, is orthodoxy. These are things, facts, principles, whatever it is that kind of the whole church agrees on that this is true. Jesus is God's son. He was crucified, died, and resurrected. Things like that. Things that are really not arguable. If you try to say that Jesus is not the son of God, then you're not talking about Christianity. The Christian faith is centered around the idea that Jesus is God's son. As an example of orthodoxy, these are things that there's really no argument about. The second level of it is called heterodoxy. These are things that there is some debate in the church and between churches on what is true or not. There are those who accept, you know, a certain principle or belief, and there's some that do not, and there's scripture to kind of support both sides. This is a bit of what we got into 
a couple different episodes that we've talked about things where, you know, in the episode about denominations, there are things that a certain denomination believes and ways that they worship God because that's what works for them. And so, and of course, they're going to have scripture to back up why they do what they do most of the time, but it's something that is perfectly fine if another denomination doesn't do it the exact same way because they have scripture to back up what they're doing, and that's fine. So that's heterodoxy. So those are things that, again, aren't dangerous as a whole because, like I said, there's there's clear scripture to kind of support both sides. We may not you know, know exactly why what was written was written. And so some people say, well, I think it was written because of this reason. And here's the things to back it up. And other people say, no, it was written because of this reason. And here's things to back it up. And so there's, there's some debate, but there's nothing that's like overtly anti-Christian in it. And there's nothing that is like, you must believe this to consider Jesus, your Lord and savior. Those are things called heterodoxy. Then there is heresy. This is the outer, the outermost circle of it. This is everything that is anti-scripture anti-Bible. Something like, it's okay to sin because God will just forgive you, is a heresy. Kind of a, maybe a more obvious one, but maybe not. But Paul actually specifically addresses this in his letters that just because we have grace is not a license to commit sin. We do not sin more so that grace abounds more. That's not the point. So this is important for us to define because heresy is different from heterodoxy. And we'll kind of, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later, especially, but Mostly what I want to talk about here is kind of both of those things. So as I said, there's two guidelines, I would say, for dealing with heresy. For those of us who are pastors or teachers, I want to you know kind of talk to that group first. And a teacher could be anyone who's responsible to teach the scripture to anybody. It could be parents to their children. It could be you know, teachers within the church to a class. It could be pastors themselves to the whole church. And for some of you, this is not going to be new, but you know, here we go. Those who are pastors or teachers have a very large burden on them concerning heresy and even a little bit concerning heterodoxy. And James 3 verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And judged more strictly either by God or also by man. Those who claim to know enough to teach are looked at more critically. You can see this kind of everywhere. Any internet or TV pastor that's out there tends to have a lot of detractors, a lot of people looking at it and saying, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's right. They shouldn't be saying that, all these sorts of things, all sorts of judgments and criticisms on either what they're teaching or how they're living or anything like that. Kind of the more widely known you become as a pastor or teacher, the more criticism you open yourself up to because there's going to be more people who don't think you're doing things quite right. That's just the thing. And But God himself, too, will judge more harshly those who are supposed to know better, who claim to know better, but are maybe not acting better. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7 through 7 says, Here is a trustworthy saying, Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil." He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. 
So there's a lot more in the Timothys, especially because this is Paul writing to someone who is a pastor of the old church. And so there's a lot of good passages in both books for those who are pastors or teachers to read through and kind of pay attention to. As a pastor or teacher, it is absolutely your responsibility, my responsibility, to root out every heresy that we can in ourselves and in others, no matter how slight. Especially for ourselves, we must never be too prideful to think we've got it all nailed down. But also don't let it keep you from your calling. This is one of those things where, you know, again, aside from this instruction that, you know, those who are recent converts should not become overseers because it could lead to pride. At a certain point, you know, I know that things I talk about on this podcast, I might not be outright wrong on it. Maybe I am, but more so, I think there will be things that either I minimize that I should be maximizing and there are things that I maximize that maybe later I'll end up minimizing as I learn and grow, not change, but kind of modify perhaps my beliefs or what I think is important, especially. And some of it might even be time and culture bound. Maybe as time goes on, as I get older, as the world continues to grow older, the closer we get to Christ coming, there will be things I feel like God is telling me are more important. So things can change like that. But beyond that, if you're going to be a pastor or teacher, again, even as a parent teaching your children, I believe you have a greater burden to be sure that everything you're talking about is as true as you can understand it at the time. So that's one sort of guideline. The next group are people who are not pastors or teachers who are either listening to pastors or teachers or are just talking with fellow believers. To this group, I would say to be very certain of the difference between heresy and heterodoxy that we just talked about. Just because the other believer doesn't believe something that is painfully obvious to you does not mean they are believing in heresy. Okay, that's a big difference. I think that's where we see people get hung up way too often is that they are taking what is heterodoxy and acting as though it were heresy and saying, well, because you don't believe the same way I do, you can't call yourself a true Christian because true Christians should believe this way, which happens to be the way that I believe. I think we've gotten a little too caught up in that. I think it's it's one of the pitfalls or risks or dangers, however you want to describe it, of the priesthood of all believers. Even though that is a biblical principle, we have gotten to a point, I feel, especially, again, in the Western, or in the American church anyway, because of our culture, that because we have a right to our own opinion, we have a right to the facts as we see them, and we apparently have a right to try to spread our facts and our opinions to everyone we possibly can that this has bled over into our Christian walk. And we're going to see some verses here that don't really support the idea of I should be trying to tell everyone I know how they should be living because of what I understand, either in Christ or just because that's what I believe. Notice the difference between heresy and heterodoxy. And then if it's heterodoxy, here's what scripture has to say about that. Romans chapter 14, starting in verse 1, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Verse 3, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. We looked at that specifically that passage in an earlier episode, but also very important to understand here 
is that in most matters, again, unless it is heresy, our job just as fellow believers, not as teachers or pastors or anything like that, just as fellow believers, don't look down on those who have less faith than you and don't judge those who have more faith than you and perhaps are doing things that you can't do because of your conscience and things like that, but just leave room for God to handle what he needs to handle. We're each responsible to God first and each other second, I believe. We'll see if I change that in a minute here. Verse 10, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Paul goes on to say that mature believers should not exercise their freedom if it causes weaker believers to stumble in their faith, because essentially what he says is the kingdom of heaven is not about perishable things, but about righteousness, love, and peace. So again, as the more mature believer, it is not for you to throw your freedom in the face of weaker or newer believers and say, ha ha, look at me, I'm allowed to do this because I'm doing it out of thankfulness and because of what I know. And then they maybe follow your example, but it goes against their conscience. And it says, if it's if it doesn't come from faith, it is sin for that person. So for the non-pastors or teachers, when you see heresy from pastors, I believe there is no single hard and fast rule. And this is where, again, I'm not saying that heresy is okay. So hear me out here. Again, I think for this group as well, still make sure you understand the difference between heresy and heterodoxy. I think I've said this in a previous episode before, maybe more than once, that kind of the joke I heard is that every pastor only has one sermon and he has 52 different ways to preach it. And that kind of being that like you will see a pastor return to a theme over and over and over again. It'll kind of crop up in almost every sermon because I believe personally that that goes back to the idea of vocation. We've talked about that before, that your vocation is where your greatest passion meets the world's greatest need. That, I believe, applies to everybody. And so a pastor will have something already as part of their their personality and life in Christ that they have a heart for that is like, this is important for people to know. And they will return to that theme often in their sermons. Many, many pastors. And so, you know, maybe that is the message for that pastor to do. Even when you read through scripture, if you if you look at especially John, the epistles of John, one, two, and three. But even in the Gospel of John, he goes on about love a lot, a lot more than Paul does. Paul talks about it. He has a whole chapter about it that everyone reads at their weddings. But Paul is much more focused on the idea of grace and salvation through faith and not by works. He returns to that theme a lot in his, where John, in the gospel to a degree, and certainly in the epistles, is all about the love of God. And so even they had their kind of more specific focal points, things that they like really harped on over and over and over again to different groups of people. And so the same, I believe, with pastors today, that we can, that what they're trying to teach, what it is that really kind of burdens them is like, I want people to get this. If they get nothing else in their life and in their walk with Christ, I want them to get this. And it can, by focusing on that, what can happen is that then you tend to leave off the caveats, okay? These are the things where you say, okay, this is true because of XYZ scripture, 
maybe ABC scripture nuances it in certain ways, but they don't want to focus on the nuances because there are people who will only see the nuances and not get the main scriptures of XYZ. And this is where a lot of supposed heresy calls of or accusations of heresy, I believe, can arise is from things like this, where because the pastors focus on the main point and don't spend enough time kind of dissembling through the the nuances, that then they're accused of heresy because all they focus on is this one thing. This isn't across the board. This is, a, I think, a percentage of the pastors who have been accused of heresy that perhaps they could be given a little bit more grace by those who listen to them to either say, okay, then this pastor isn't for me, their message isn't for me, so I can move on, or to say, oh, okay, I understand why they're, they're doing that. I understand these different nuances, so that's fine. So that's one way to handle it. You can also say, no, as soon as they display any sort of anything close to heresy, we need to cut them off because we don't want to, to taint the word of God or the gospel of Jesus Christ with anything remotely close to something that isn't true. There's no hard and fast rule. I think each individual churchgoer needs to decide for themselves what is sort of the limit of what teaching they will put themselves in front of, especially their family um, and their children as well. It is your responsibility to raise your children, not the churches. But I would like us to consider a few different parables. One you're going to be very familiar with, but I want to look at it in a slightly different light. Again, that I've kind of heard of before. It's the parable of the seeds. I'm going to skip straight to where Jesus explains the parable to the disciples. And this comes from Matthew chapter 13, verses 19 through 23. Listen to this again. I'm going to read the whole thing, even though you may be able to recite it. Let's just hear it again in case you haven't. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. What I want us to notice here is that the seed doesn't affect the outcome. So in this parable that Jesus tells, the word presumably is 100% true. Perhaps it's even the word that he spoke to his disciples, to the crowds, and we can see how that worked out. There's this notion, I feel like we might get into this in a later episode as well, is that pastors and teachers need to be giving a perfect theology. And that if we only preach a perfect theology, then that means people will hear it and understand it and turn to Christ and live the way they're supposed to. This parable refutes that. And the example of the apostles refutes that. We're going to see that here in a second. Because here, Jesus presumably sows a perfect seed. It depends on the ground on which it lands as to whether it's going to be effective or not. Again, don't take this to mean that heresy is okay. <laughs> That's not what I'm trying to get to. Okay, now there are, in the real world, if we kind of spin our own parable, there are bags of seed that you can get that will tell you what percentage of the seeds are kind of guaranteed to be viable which means that not all of them are, okay? So we could think of it this way. 
that a pastor is sowing seeds of various viability. Some of the seeds might be dead and need to be discarded. Other seeds are full of life and will grow a crop. So again, being aware of the difference between heresy and heterodoxy and also understanding that not every single word that comes from the mouth of a pastor is for you. So if you know that something he or she preaches about or teaches about or says is like, that doesn't work for me or I don't think that's true in my life or you know, I, I, maybe even I don't necessarily see that truth in scripture at the time, understanding that maybe you just don't understand it yet could be happening. But there's all these sorts of points that are going to be made and, and analogies that'll, that will be drawn and parables that will be told that just aren't, they're not going to grow the crop in you that they might for others. So allowing for that to happen as well. But I also want to, again, address this idea that, that pastors should have perfect theology. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Paul is writing, he says, When Cephas, who is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Here are two very big people in the early church, Peter and Barnabas, who, for a time, displayed a heresy that Jews should only associate with other Jews. They should not associate with Gentiles, even though they've been teaching the Gentiles at this point. Peter had spent time with them. He would eat with them. He was one of the first to go to the Gentiles because of a vision from God. So he should have known better, but he still displayed this heresy. Paul called him and everyone else out on it, said, you're not doing things right. And so that's fine. And then Peter at some point wrote two books that are included in the Bible. And the whole point of all the epistles, when you read through them, is that churches were getting things wrong. There were heresies in the churches and heterodoxies that you know needed to be addressed. And Paul and Peter and James and others wrote to them to correct them. There is no perfect church, and there never has been, and there never will be until Jesus comes back. And there is no comprehensive, perfect doctrine. There might be individual points that are easily provable and true, but be careful if you're tempted to throw out the entire church just because your pastor or a pastor that you hear of says something that you don't approve of, and not the least reason being that you might be wrong. I said, I know I'm going to be wrong about things. Um, I have been wrong about things and have been corrected and adjusted it. So does this mean that we just go to whichever church regardless of what they're preaching? Of course not. Second Peter 2 verses 1 through 2 says, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Okay, so it's going to happen. If you can, don't be a part of it. Okay, but again, genuinely assess everything that's going on. Are they a false teacher who are secretly introducing destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them? Or is there just a point of their teaching that you don't see how that aligns with scripture? And if you do, then you know to reject it. And say, okay, I'm not going to believe what they're teaching yet because I don't see that in scripture. That's an, an easy way to handle it. 
almost the entirety of the second book of Peter. When you read through the whole thing, the focus is being sure of your salvation between you and God, relying on God's prophecies and teachings and not on these false prophets and teachers. So when you read second Peter, it really puts the burden on the individual believer to make sure that what they believe is true. I forgot to bring in the point of the Bereans in the book of Acts. It talks about when they were preaching to them, they searched the scriptures to make sure that everything that was being said was true. That's a really good model to follow. Do that. And again, when you do that, it's a case by case. You need to do what you feel like is right and according to scripture in the moment. But I think there are more times than not that we just need to acknowledge and say, okay, that I don't believe that's true because of this scripture and this scripture and move on and not suddenly lambast the pastor or whoever it is, the teacher all over social media saying, don't listen to this person because they said this thing that was wrong. I am tempted to give some specific examples next week. We'll see if I do that or not. Again, I kind of don't want to get mired down in it, but I think it's a kind of a good case study, at least from my perspective, but we'll see. We're kind of going to still be taking this week by week. So once again, you're going to need to just tune in to see what next week's topic is. We may continue with our discussion of heresy. I had thought about thinking ahead to the next season that we might still wrap this one up after 26 episodes, take a little bit of a break, and maybe we'll do controversies in faith. And we'll start looking at controversial topics more specifically. Like these are things that are current controversies in the church and kind of go to scripture with them and see what we can find. We'll see. That's an idea I'm floating around. For now, see you back here next week, I hope. Until then, keep the faith and keep it fresh.